0: Hello and welcome to the Happier at Work podcast with your host Aoife O'Brien. The podcast for anyone who wants to be happier at work. We spend so much of our time at work. Everyone deserves to be happier at work. Welcome to episode 36 of the Happier at Work podcast. And today's guest is Henry Stewart, who is the Chief Happiness Officer of London-based training business, HAPPY. Happy was rated one of the top 20 workplaces in the UK for five consecutive years and now helps other organisations create happy workplaces. So absolutely in tying with the entire reason for this podcast. And I'm really, really excited for my conversation with Henry and I hope you enjoy it. So welcome, Henry, to the Happier at Work podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself to listeners?
1: Yeah, I'm Henry Stewart. I'm Chief App happiness officer at happy which is a london-based training and consultancy provider who helps organizations create happy workplaces
0: how did you get to where you are
1: (laughs) well i've been running happy for 32 years um it started as happy computers we were delivering it training and helping people enjoy using their uh, their software (laughs) um and over the years as we um uh, won awards for best place to work and uh, best customer service in the UK. Um, uh, our clients started asking us, um, can you teach us that stuff too? So it, we've now shifted. We still do the IT training, but um, uh, our main focus is now uh, creating happy workplaces. And we have courses, we have conferences, we have all sorts. That we have. I have a book called The Happy Manifesto, which um, you can uh, buy at many good bookshops or you can download for free from our website, happy.co.uk.
0: Brilliant. And do you want to talk to me a little bit more about like what, what does create a happier workplace?
1: Well, that, that's a good question. Um, what, it, for me, it isn't about things like free sushi and foosball tables or, you know, or, or things like that. What it is about is um, is, is various things. One, And I'd come back to Daniel Pink's definition, actually, motivation, autonomy, yeah. purpose. Um, so particularly do you do your people have the freedom to do a great job yeah and are they doing something that they are good at those are the, the two fundamental things and and that, that purpose having you know some sense of why you're there and why you're doing it
0: yeah brilliant i mean it ties in i'm uh, doing a masters at the moment in organizational behavior and i'm really interested in this idea of fit and fitting in at work and um I don't mean that in a way to mold yourself to kind of conform to how an organization is. What I mean is I'm really interested in, I suppose, helping individuals and organizations find a match for each other. So um, Mm -hmm. based on values and based on needs. And the research that I'm doing is based on, on that. It's it's um the self-determination theory of autonomy, relatedness, and competence. So it sounds similar to what Daniel Pink talks about in, in his book, Drive as well. Um yeah. so I'd love to kind of drill into a little bit more around that. Like what what does that mean and how does that actually show up at work?
1: Um, well, okay, the first thing then is 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 the mastery bit this Oh, as we say. Uh, playing to your strengths.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: Um, are you getting to do what you are best at yeah. every day? Um, Gallup's asked that question of a million people. Take a guess: what percentage you think say yes? <laughs> every day, I get to do what I am best at.
0: I, I'm sure I've seen this, and I definitely have filled out that that Gallup um, that that uh, questionnaire for sure. Thirty um, percent.
1: <laughs> you're you're an optimist. Uh, you're an optimist. It's actually um seventeen percent in the UK. Okay. I don't know, know the Irish figures. Okay. um uh, So it's one in six gets to do what they're best at every day. Isn't, yeah. it, isn't that sad, really? But the really sad thing when I ask people, when I when I ask audiences, your figure's very high. Most people say oh five percent or something like that. <laughs> people do not expect that people are doing what they're good at. Right. You know, What's crazy? That's crazy. Whereas Scouts also found yeah. that in those organisations where people are doing what they're best at, they're thirty to forty percent more productive as well. they has being much happier. Yeah. So let me give you, give you give you a concrete example of it. Um, uh, I we we do Strength Finder, um, which is a which finds your five top strengths. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a book called Now Discover Your Strengths by Marcus yeah. Buckingham, you, which has a free link to the to the survey. So one of my strengths is. Yeah, one of my strengths is woo, which stands for winning others over. Um, uh, And so take me to a a trade show, and I'm loving it. You know, I'm meeting all these new people. I'm having a great time. Um, I might have some colleagues at the back of the stall who are a bit shy, but, you know, I'm having a fabulous time, and I'm collecting lots of forms, and then I go back to the office, and I plonk all the forms down ready to phone next week. And then comes next week and i'm not so good at that bit yeah right but i hate that bit um uh so of course so you know guess what happens now we don't i don't do that bit and we have, we find somebody who's good at that bit to do yeah. That bit. yeah 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 but let's say you know my i'm that's easy because i'm the boss but let's say my role was to organize conferences staff conferences and follow-up conferences and i might say to my boss but i'm not very good at that last bit and and they might say well we all have to do some things we're not so good at. Mm. Um, but actually, what that's that what means is what we're paying you to do. <laughs> yeah, what's what we're paying you to do? But that may, actually means we all have to do things which make the company less effective. Is what these that that statement actually is, and it makes mm. sense for anybody to play to their strengths. So when we employ somebody, we have a job description, then we throw it away, and we work out what are their actual talents, what are they really great at. Mm. So we and our. our our organizational chart, have everybody's day's five strengths so that we know who to go to when yeah. we, when we yeah. you know. And the, the, each team, we don't delegate to individuals that happy We delegate to teams. And that team then works out, oh, you know, um, Fred, you're good at that. That's, you should do that one and I'll do this one and you do that one. Um, but just think if you could do every day what really motivates you, mm-hmm. what really gives you a buzz and that stuff which you're always putting off to the end of the week, if you could just not have to do it.
0: <laughs> that sounds like the dream job.
1: <laughs> but we can all do that. So yeah. I'm happy our, our principle is that everybody should find joy in their work at least 80% of the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I totally agree. And um, we might we might kind of digress from those three different areas for a second while I drill in a little bit more into this this whole aspect of mastery. So when it comes to um you know or finding your strengths but when it when it comes to um hiring people and Mm -hmm. you're saying you kind of get rid of the job description like is it is it even at the hiring stage that you make those decisions around the kind of person or the kind of strengths that are required in order to plug into the team where there's maybe maybe some development areas in others
1: Oh absolutely, so yeah, you should be thinking of it there, but often often that when you hire somebody you 're not obviously clear in the interview you know um, what, what they 're great at, and but you do find out when they join you okay you know, and that 's yeah. when you can start to think about you can start to spot you know that is a key role if you have managers for the manager to spot where is their talent what it, what is it that they can everybody has a capacity capacity to be great at something mm we need to find what that something is
0: yeah and and again like in the hiring process like it does tend to be and i've i've read kind of studies about this as well that on both sides there's a little bit of um uh, exaggeration let's say in capabilities mm-hmm. or in what's expected in an organization or an organization from an organization perspective they maybe aren't being completely honest about some of the issues that the organization has from an individual's perspective maybe they're big enough what they're capable of uh, you know kind of a little bit more yeah, well than, there's a solution for that you,
1: you, well, well, you stop asking questions at interviews okay then they don't get to big themselves up
0: so tell me more about that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, in, in an ideal interview, we don't ask any questions. We get them to do the job.
0: Okay. Brilliant.
1: So let's say we've got, we're have got we interviewing trainers. Yeah. Um, we bring them in in groups of six. Any idea why we bring them in in groups of six? No idea. Well, one of the key things we want to find out is how positive and supportive they are. That's on our tick list, one of our, one of our uh, key criteria. Yeah. I have no interest in asking somebody to tell me, when have you been positive and supportive? Um, I want to see them being positive and supportive yeah. of, their, of the other of interviewees. I want to, to make sure the person who's trying to put someone down never gets a job at, at Happy. Um, uh, then we train them so they're absolutely clear what we need We have a discussion. And then they, then they, they train us. Um, so we get to see um, them actually train. In the second interview, we take them aside for five minutes and coach them because another key criteria is been able to learn well. Yeah. You know, um, uh, we also do a couple of things. If it's IT training, we get them to learn a new software package because we're trying to look at what is involved in this job, get them to actually do it, yeah. and get them to to answer as few questions as possible. And I think in the in the in the In the IT trainer, in the training ones, we've managed to get it to asking no questions.
0: Great, yeah. Now, the reason I ask is I'm so curious about this, the whole, the entire process, the entire hiring process from the job ads to the actual onboarding, um, because I think it's broken. I
1: think that there's there's
0: so... Completely.
1: Yeah. Completely broken. I mean, most... I mean, I I often give the analogy that it's like if you were running a football club and... um, you know, you wanted to hire a star player. Um, and what you do, obviously, is you watch them play. But that isn't what they do at interviews. You ask them questions. <laughs> you ask them to ask, to answer questions about, about when they played best or how they, how they played as a team or something like this. And mm-hmm. let's say your candidates were John Motson, who is an English commentator who has never played the game. He's yeah, brilliant at talking about it, and say an early David Beckham, who was brilliant at the game but not very good at talking about it. Um, yeah, yeah. and who would who would who would get the best answer to the questions? It would be yeah. John Monson. Yeah, yeah. Um, who would play best? Yeah. Very obviously, it would have been David Beckham. Mm. So we've got to stop asking questions and start getting people to do the job. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And then also you involve other people in it, so they get to know a bit about the organisation. They get to know about the people they're working with, and you get an increased commitment because you get the people who are actually going to be working with them. Yeah. And they them. buy
0: into the process and they buy into the person
1: as well. Absolutely. Spoken to but them. the core principle is recruit for attitude, not for skills. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah, yeah. do away with all those qualifications. Stop mm. asking people to have a maths, GCSE, or some ludicrous thing like that um and and uh, you know we we basically never asked for a qualification mm. now yeah if you're going to be a doctor it's quite useful to have a medical degree it's true <laughs> but most uh, me, but for generic degree or generic uh gcse or whatever they are in in, in ireland um then uh get of them.
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: we <laughs> had we had one member one person who joined us at the age of 16 she had no she, she hadn't even taken her Uh, school exams Hmm. Um, but she she seemed great Uh, within three years she had become our finance manager wow and her entire time as finance manager do you know she never had to calculate the angle on a triangle (laughs) strange or any of the other things in a maths GCSE (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah so so do away with all all of those those silly things and just get people to do the job
0: yeah yeah no I like that because No, a lot of the research that I'm doing is it's more about, you were saying about hire for the attitude. And to me, that's kind of behaviors. And it's the values that you epitomize as an organization. And how do you see those values playing out in the behavior of the individual? Um, But another aspect to that is the need satisfaction element of it. And like how, uh, you know, when talking about, a role, how can this role satisfy the, the needs of an individual? Yeah. Um, so it's that need for mastery is one of them, um, the need for autonomy as well. And it sounds like the the managers are very supportive of that. And then relatedness. So that's like how people get along with each other.
1: Yeah. In- I've never got to ask do we need managers? Yeah, yeah exactly. Do yeah. we need managers at all? <laughs> yeah, they are some, some uh, very exciting companies coming along that simply don't have managers. Yeah, Um, you know, Bertsog in the Netherlands is a care company where in 2008 four nurses got together and decided that they would run their own organisation and they wouldn't have managers. And they're they're 12 years on, they are 15,000 people working for Bertsog in teams of 10 to 12. There's a chief exec, but basically they decide for themselves. And you know what's been really interesting in the COVID crisis? is this kind of thing has happened. You know, I was at a, a hospital on Friday in, in, in East London where the chief executive explained that his role had been not to tell people what to do, but ask, how can I support you? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that, and their slogan is no going back. We don't want to go back to the old ways of approvals and hierarchies and micromanagement. You know, we have seen what can be achieved. One of the frontline people there said, yeah, I was, I was asked to move the entire paediatric unit in one day. <laughs> you know, before COVID, you'd have needed months of planning, you need levels of approval, you needed all these things. She said, one day, and we did it.
0: Yeah. You know,
1: it shows what, that's what can be done. it shows what can be done. And people did it not by, you know, referring on to just telling people what to do. They did it, you know. I've heard consultants talk about this is what I got involved in medicine to do,
0: mm.
1: to use my judgment. Yeah. Not to have to leave it, uh, you know, six months to somebody else to decide, you know. And it'd be very interesting coming out of COVID to see whether companies learn the lessons.
0: Mm.
1: You know, I think there are going to be more people working at home. That seems fairly clear. But they're also going to learn the lessons of what can be achieved if you take the managers out of the way and give real power to the frontline staff. So, you know, I, I ask your people, do you need managers? So one of the... Well, somebody at one of our uh, conferences asked people, um, first of all, she asked, do you have a manager? And pretty much everyone put their hand up. And then she said, do you feel you need to be managed? And nobody said yes. You know, nobody did. Mm. Why why do we need those? So at Happy, the role of the manager isn't to be the expert or tell people what to do. The role of the manager is to be a coach. Yeah. Help and support and to trust people. Yeah,
0: that makes total sense. And I, I recall from um, the webinar back in February that you mentioned that people get to choose their own managers or that's one one approach to take is that people can actually choose who manages them.
1: Why would you ever do it any, any way differently than that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why would you impose a manager on someone? <laughs> you know let people choose their manager you know we've got this working in in a big public sector organization in the uk they're going to speaking at it at our conference on 30th of july where they've got 600 people choosing their own managers they have a little spreadsheet where they have each manager how many people they want to manage mm. how many people they are managing and then what they feel they support you in and somebody says, i feel like i've got i've got control now of my career you know i I, I, I've changed managers three times in three years, not because they were bad, but because um, I, I just needed to different people at different stages.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you
1: know that 48% of the UK population say they would take a pay cut to be able to change their manager? <laughs> yeah. I and we all so know please. this. We all yeah, know that one yeah. of the things yeah. that makes people profoundly unhappy at work managers. is their manager. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Let people choose their managers and that all disappears. Yeah, yeah. Imagine how much more productive mm. organisations would be if they simply let people choose their managers.
0: I mean, it makes total sense when you say it. However, yeah. why, why are people still operating in, in the same way that we always have been then? Why, why hasn't this been challenged more or why isn't it more prevalent?
1: I have no idea. <laughs> it is bizarre that all the research on autonomy and mastery and all these kind of things is very clear. Yeah, Great places to work perform better. We know this. People mm. are more productive when they're happy. We know this. So why you create organizations that lack autonomy and that to impose managers on you, it, it is totally bizarre. It's one of the great puzzles that we often discuss in, 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 uh, in this kind of sector is why people do such stupid things.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: When, when, when there are so many good examples mm. of companies which are great to work for and are more productive and profitable as a result.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree. Um, another question kind of tied in with that as well is typically uh, a career path for an individual tends to go up through the ranks until you become a manager and then a manager's manager. Um do you see an alternative? I think this is something that I talked about a lot on the, the leadership series was this idea that not everyone is, A, cut out to be a manager or, B, wants to be a manager. They think that this is the path for them because that's, what yeah. they, that's what's been presented to them. And they think if they're good at a subject matter that they will automatically be good as a manager within that subject area. Um,
1: so would you like it's to... nonsense? Kind of, nonsense, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. one of the great stories I love to tell is of the foundation of Apple. Um, uh, I don't, I think you know that it's set up by Steve, Wads, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, yeah, and Steve Jobs got his first uh, two hundred fifty thousand dollars and was already set it up and went to to Woz and said, "We're ready to set it up. Look, you no longer have to be just an engineer. You can manage a whole team of engineers, um, and uh, you, you'll, it'll be fab- fabulous." And Woz looked at him and said, "Nah." I think I'll stay at Hewlett-Packard. Um, and Steve Jobs kept trying to persuade him. And he said, look, you'll have all these people to work for you and all these kind of things. And then one day, um, Mike Marcula, who was, uh, who was made the investment, took Steve Jobs aside and said, look, Watts doesn't want to manage people.
0: Mm.
1: He just wants to be an engineer. So Steve got that and went back to Oz and said, OK, you'll never have to manage anybody, but you'll have the best tools, the best, you know, the, the best funding. Come and work for Apple. And Was said, yeah, OK, that sounds good. <laughs> um, many people do not want to manage anybody, but mm. it is the only way to get promoted. So yeah. we were we were training a group of uh, project managers from Cougar, a, a software company, and in how to manage people. And at the end of the day, they came to Cathy, who was teaching the course, and said, fabulous course, but it's made us realize we don't want to manage people. And we're going to go back and tell Clive, the managing director, that we don't want to manage people. Now, we were a bit worried because Clive had paid for the course. Um, but uh, Clive was actually quite pleased because he'd never quite got around to telling them that it wasn't necessarily in their strength. But what they did was they went back and set up an alternative promotion track. Brilliant. So that they could then, so that as a as a software coder, you could become blue belt, brown belt, black belt coder. Mm. Um, and so now, if you join Cougar, you can. Yeah, you could end up managing people, or you could just end up being a black belt coder, and that's mm. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and what I would say that for all companies, all companies need to. Um, to set up two tracks i mean another another story is uh, somebody i went into one company and somebody came to me and said when i started here my manager said to me i'm not really a people person i probably won't remember your name i'd much rather be sitting in at my desk writing reports why would anybody ever put someone like that in charge of anybody yeah if they could good at writing reports, pay them lots of money for writing reports, but mm. don't put them in charge of anybody. Yeah. It is is—it is uh, the ludicrous nonsense that, that is in place in so many of our companies, and we know uh, in any big company we've worked in, there are managers there who are no good at it. Yeah. But also, you know, people say if you let people choose their manager, what happens to those managers who don't get chosen? That's the mm. question That's I always question. get. Yeah. Yeah. And my answer is normally they're delighted <laughs> because actually that's what keeps them awake at night. That's what, what, you know, worries them. You know, yeah. if, if they were able to have the same salary and the same um, reputation without having to manage people, they would, many of them would jump at the chance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it takes a certain kind of person and a certain type of attribute, I think, or set of attributes to be able to manage people. I think it's, it's yeah. not it's not it's sort of painted as the these are your options in your career and then you become a manager and yeah. you've kind of reached the the holy grail and then you're a manager's manager and then you're you know and you progress and you progress yeah. however it's um i think we don't really consider the implications of what that means and the alternatives mm-hmm. to doing what it is and you know, going back to this idea of mastery as well, is it's spending time doing something that you're really, really good at. And yeah, and a lot of people time. aren't really
1: good at managing people. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So, uh, and some people think, well, you have to do it, don't you? They think nobody likes doing it, but you have to do it. And that is nonsense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't manage anybody. I run happy, but I don't manage anybody because I have a fabulous um, a colleague called Cathy who loves managing people yeah. or coaching them. I as well, happy. And she, so to anybody there who's, who's running a startup or a small business or a small organization, I would say to you, you don't have to do the managing bit, the managing people bit. I was at one seminar where somebody said, uh, you know, they, they, they were running a 25-person organization and they said um, uh, people were taking them to tribunals and all sorts. He said, it got so bad I had to hire somebody just to be nice to people. <laughs> And actually, that was probably the best decision he ever made. He was great at networking. He was great at selling. He was great at, at leading the company forward, but he was lousy with, with managing people. Yeah. So he made, so I would say this to anybody out there. You don't have to do the managing people, but if you don't like doing it, mm. get someone else to do it.
0: That's the beauty, I think, of having your own business, isn't it? That you get to choose what, how you spend your time, what you do. And if you want to outsource absolutely. parts of it, then absolutely do that.
1: Yeah. Totally agree. So a, tipi- a typical morning for me, you, you, I think you're going to ask what makes me happy at work. A typical morning for me pre-COVID, it doesn't happen now, is I would, I would uh, you know, have a nice little meditation at home to start with. I would get on my bike and cycle through the back streets of, of London. I'd stop at a cafe for a couple of hours, you know, have a hot chocolate and, and med- think about things and get into the office for about, for about 11 yeah. um, and that's the kind of you know, but I'd be thinking i'd be, be be looking at the bigger picture uh um so that's the kind of thing which 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 I found quite fulfilling yeah you know mm-hmm. and the other bits I'd love doing are are things like this, and particularly presenting yeah speaking yeah, I love uh giving the giving the message to hundreds of people yeah having them see that see see get that eureka moment and see that it makes sense
0: it doesn't have to be this way it can actually there are yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely and um so we kind of we talked about the the strengths piece and we touched a little bit on the autonomy piece in in talking about managers i suppose is there anything else that you would add to the autonomy side of things
1: yeah um I mean the thing about yeah autonomy. Um imagine you are a manager um and you ask somebody to do something. Uh, and typically you'll ask them to bring solve a problem or something like that and then, then bring it back for approval. Yeah? So my, my my view is you miss out that last step. You get the uh manager to approve the solution before they've come up with a solution.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, like in that that paediatric ward, you know, we didn't. They didn't. It, it, there wasn't time. Management didn't say, "Can you produce a detailed plan and while we'll work out whether it's any good?" They just did it. Yeah. Right. Um. They knew the principles they had to work within. They knew the regulations. They knew, you know, uh, medical good practice. They just did it. Yeah. Um. So, and that that's the basic principle of what I call pre-approval. Yeah. You approve. You set clear guidelines between you, and then you. Approve the solution. So, so, so the exact the example I've been telling for years is of a nineteen-year-old that was in charge of our cafe, and came to us and said, "I want to improve the cafe." Now, what we didn't do was say, "Show us a plan and we'll think about it." <laughs> yeah. What we didn't do was form a committee to look at it. What we mm-hmm. did do was agree a budget, check she understood look and feel of happy, and left her to decide.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Actually, wanted that cafe to be, and it was fabulous. But more importantly. How do you think that 19-year-old, three months into her first job, felt walking into her cafe every morning?
0: Mm. And
1: that's the sense of ownership you want to create in organizations. Um, And that's what you don't get if you have micromanagement or these kinds Mm. of things. That's what you do get if people are free to decide for themselves. So get rid of the approvals, get rid of the hierarchy, give people frontline responsibility. Um, to decide. Um, there's, there's, there's a saying at, at, at um, Google, beware of hippos. Do you know that one? No. <laughs> beware of the highest paid person's opinion.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: Which is the one that normally gets uh, gets the decision, but yeah. actually is the, normally the one most remote from the front line, from That's where the best. decision is, yeah. is happening.
0: I was about to say, so if you're dealing with customers, the person who's the highest paid person is not going to be that, the person who's yeah. facing the customer on a day-to-day basis. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
1: So so put all the responsibility down to that front line, mm. just like as I say in Burtsock, where you have teams mm. of 10 to 12, Yeah. and the people who are directly dealing with the, with the patients are the people who are deciding how to deal with the patients.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really, really love that approach. I think it's really, it, it's, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, however at the same time I'm kind of hearing what some what some of the objections that might be. It takes a high what objection? degree of it's trust. Hmm?
1: Yeah. yeah, one of the questions yes. I sometimes ask is, do you trust your people? Yeah. Now if you don't trust your people, you've got a problem. You've got a problem yeah. whether you're micromanaging or given autonomy. Yeah. They, that, if you don't trust your people, you have to fix that, whether it's new yeah. training or new people or whatever. Mm. But if you trust your people, now obviously in that hospital example. They trust their people. They yeah. they are professional medics. They are whatever you know. Mm. But in 101 hospitals around the world, be a million and one before COVID. Yeah, you didn't have that level of trust. Mm. Yeah. And hopefully now you may do. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah, if you trust your people, let them decide.
0: And is that is that all it takes then? So like I was thinking, it does take a high degree of trust and that's great if you trust people. But then, you know, what if they get it wrong? I suppose that's the kind of, that's the question that's burning in my mind. Yeah. Coming from a they, corporate they, background. What if they get what it wrong? What
1: do you do with mistakes? You celebrate them. Hmm. So you can learn. Celebrate mistakes. Mm. Because, you, yeah, you, you learn from it. Yeah. yeah. All of us get things wrong, right? Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, My my favourite example, again, this is one of my old stories, is from Huntsman, a chemical company in the northeast of England, where they used to have a big red button on the wall that when you pressed it, discharged the chemicals into the local river. Right. Which was not a good thing to happen. (laughs) So one day, the scaffolders came. uh, There's a scaffolder in there. And he nudged the button. Right. And the chemicals started discharging. And... When they found out, his scaffolding company sacked him. Right. But Huntsman said, no, 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 re-employ him, send him back to work for us, and they had to actually had a little party to thank him. Why? For a couple of reasons. Partly nobody saw him press the button. He could have scarpered, mm. but he went into the control room and said, I press the button, there's a red light on. It meant they could solve it in 20 minutes instead of 24 hours.
0: Okay. Minimum
1: environmental damage mm. and no fine because the problem is very rarely the mistake it's normally the cover up yeah if you can sort something straight away it's very different but also they wanted to say this is a no blame culture that's why they mm. had the party mm. it's not it's not a safe culture it's a chemical plant yeah right uh but they wanted to say this is a no blame culture so one of the things that i know that people say they love most about working at happy is they know if they try their best if they take a risk it all goes completely wrong we will celebrate yeah that's what we do that's what we do when something goes wrong now obviously you might find they haven't got the right skills in which you, there's other things you have to do you might find they're in a completely wrong job again mm. you have to find out what their strengths are um yeah. yeah
0: and that's all part of the process
1: yeah absolutely
0: um the last area you mentioned then henry was about this idea of purpose do you want to talk to me a little bit more about purpose? Well,
1: purpose seems more obvious. Purpose seems to be the one that people get a bit. You know, mm. they don't particularly get letting people play to their strengths. They don't particularly get uh, giving people the right autonomy. But I think most people do understand you need a sense of purpose. Yeah. Um. And, why, but it, the key is, is
0: why is it that you yeah. think that they don't really get those other two as much?
1: Well, just from the, the from the evidence in the companies I see, yeah, they yeah. don't seem to get it. Right. Um, so, I mean, some people don't get purpose either, but, uh, you know, like somewhere like that hospital, a very mm-hmm. clear sense of purpose. Yeah. We work a lot with charities, very clear sense of purpose. But even the commercial organisations we work with seem to be driven. Um, but it is, of course, about involving people in that purpose, not yeah. having, you know, things on the wall which were decided 10 years ago, but having everybody involved in, in that sense of purpose.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think... For me, certainly in the last—I mean, it's nearly four months at this stage—that that that we've been in this global pandemic. I feel that that has brought a lot more emphasis on the sense of purpose, whether it's an individual's purpose and and whether they want to stay in the organisation that they're in, or whether it's an opportunity for organisations to reflect on the purpose, like why why was it they set up in business in the first place, and to kind of look back (laughs) at that and remind people. Um, and yeah. it's also, you know, an opportunity to, to have a think about, well, where am I as a consumer, where am I spending my money and mm-hmm. am I doing good in the world and all of those kind of things. I think it's it's been um, a real opportunity to reflect on those types of of kind of questions, I suppose.
1: Well, it sounds like you're an optimist, Eva. It sounds like you're. you I, I very much hope that that will be the case. That we'll all start spending our money in different ways. Um, I'm not entirely sure that that's going to happen, but uh, let's hope so.
0: Yeah. Do you think that we're all going to go back? That it's uh, we haven't learned a thing.
1: No, I think we've learned some things. Um, I think there will be more people working at home. There'll be less international travel, particularly for business. Mm. Um, there will be uh, uh, much more use of, of Zoom and things like that for, mm. you know, rather than uh, traveling across continents or whatever. Um, uh, but will we go back to the old ways of buying the old same old commercial uh, stuff uh, you know I, I could uh i don't know, I don't know it it's be interesting to see I mean, who knows what will happen will we have a global recession will we have mm. um uh, yeah i it'll be very interesting to see what happens. I don't think any of us can predict it, yeah at this point, yeah, um mean you'd like to think with all the kindness and the community that's been shown over the last few months and all the you know um uh, that the key workers will be more recognised, that they'll be better paid, all these kind of things. But I suspect we will go back to the financiers still making all the money. You mm. know that's not going to change. Um, and uh, we'll, I mean, there's a real opportunity, particularly on the tax front, to really tax the people who don't make such a contribution mm. to society, um, and provide more for those that do. You know, universal basic income would be a wonderful thing to introduce. Yeah um, But I'm not sure I see our government doing it <laughs> <laughs> You know I mean we're much more of a shambles than your government I think although you've got a new one now haven't you Yeah
0: New one just started so Yeah, yeah We'll see how that pans out Yeah Yeah <laughs> Um, so, Henry, you mentioned earlier a little bit about what makes you happy at work and talking about, I mean, it sounds like an ideal day to me, kind of taking a bit of time in the mornings to reflect and to, to go and um, spend a bit of time in a cafe and to cycle into work and things like that. Generally speaking, what would you say, what, what makes you happier at work?
1: Okay, What I love is that kind of um, chilled out start. Mm. Um, and there is a phrase for it. It's called monk mode morning. The idea being, you don't do any meetings or emails before eleven, and I'd recommend it to people. So I generally don't do my emails till eleven o'clock. Um, and the things that I love best doing is uh, new products. Mm. I love the concept of new product. Once it's been in place a year or two, the great thing is I then pass it on, you know, <laughs> to somebody else who then is it's the people who, who don't like new stuff but like you know running stuff Mm. um and as i say um uh delivering the message Uh, So that can be through articles it can be through presentations it can be through big speeches but i i love delivering delivering the message of the happy workplace so those kind of things shiny new things um uh (laughs) delivering the message and chilling out in the morning that that's what makes me happy at work
0: Brilliant, brilliant. And if people want to find out more about you um, or if you have any events or webinars coming up, um, now's the opportunity. Like, what would you like to share?
1: Okay, so come to happy.co.uk and download The Happy Manifesto. I guarantee it's a good short book full of stories. You will love it. Um, our Happy Workplace Conference takes place virtually on the 30th of July, so you can come from anywhere in the world. And I guarantee you the most interactive and engaging conference you have attended this year. Uh, it won't be one of those death by PowerPoint Zoom presentations where where you might as well not be there. It, <laughs> you will be actively engaged with with the other people. Um, and we've also got a great four-day Happy Workplace Leadership Programme, which again is now now virtual.
0: Brilliant. And I'll put all of the links to those in the show notes as well. um, Excellent. For the podcast for people to access those. So thank you so much for your time today. Really, really enjoyed our chat. I can't believe how quickly it went as well. Um, So yeah, it was fun. It was fun.
1: Thank Thank you very
0: much. That was Henry Stewart from Happy. And I want to recap on some of the key points that he made. So he said that he... He bases a lot of the work at Happy around Daniel Pink's theories on motivation and being mastery, purpose and autonomy. So firstly, I wanted to summarise what he had said about mastery. So that's really about playing to your strengths. Oftentimes, we don't actually expect that of work. We don't expect to be doing what it is that we're best at. And one way to think about that is that if you're not working to your strengths, you're actually helping the company to be less effective. Think about a job where you don't have to do the stuff that you don't actually like to do. I mean, that sounds like an ideal job. It sounds like the dream job. His whole philosophy is around everyone should find joy in their work at least 80% of the time. I really was interested in the concept of the manager's job being to spot talent. In terms of the interview process, then it's about people being able to demonstrate how they would perform the role. How would they actually perform, perform the job and, and bringing in people together to see how they would actually interact. So as he said, he's able to spot those people who put others down and that's not part of the type of culture that they want to create. So they would definitely not get a job at Happy. Now, this concept of recruiting for attitude rather than for skills, I really, really like that. And as I mentioned in the podcast, that that ties in a lot with what I'm doing my research on for my master's. A few of the points then that were made about managers. So questioning, do we actually need managers at all? Asking the question of people who are being managed, whether or not they feel they need to be managed. And most people actually don't feel like they need to be managed. I mentioned already as well about the manager as a coach. So using those coaching skills as a manager. So rather than telling people what to do, you use coaching, coaching skills, which would require asking powerful questions and really being a great listener. Another way to look at that is, what if you were able to choose your own manager? And what if in an organization, they set it up so that people chose their own managers? He, you know, we, we talked about the pretty dire situation that it's, it's kind of known, but maybe not often talked about is that, you know, a lot of people would actually choose a pay cut in order to change managers. So there's something broken. There's something inherently wrong there. We spoke about providing an alternative promotion track. So becoming a subject matter expert as an alternative to being a manager. So if we need fewer managers in an organization, perhaps that provides more opportunities for people to become subject matter experts and not have to manage people. We spoke briefly about autonomy and autonomy is one of those things that's a real driver of satisfaction at work. And again, it ties in with the research that I'm doing for my masters. Autonomy is about providing really clear guidelines And then pre-approving the solution, as Henry mentioned. And the opposite of autonomy really is micromanagement. It's telling people what to do and how to do it. But if you can provide guidelines within which people can work, they can come up with their own solutions. They have a much, much higher sense of ownership over the solution. And they feel a a much greater sense of belonging with the organisation than as well. We touched briefly on trust as well and if you want to check out a previous podcast, the podcast with the team and Bart was all about trust and that's part of the leadership series and that is episode number 26 of the podcast. We talked about trust and if you don't have that sense of trust with your employees there's something fundamentally wrong there. And if you trust your people, it's OK to let them decide how things should be done. Uh, he he finished up talking about then about celebrating mistakes. So when people make mistakes, it's an opportunity to take a learning from that mistake and having a no blame culture. So I know with a lot of organisations, there is that sense of blame. So people are reluctant to own up to their mistakes And that kind of reinforces this idea of not being able to trust. You're not really sure who you can trust because you might get blamed for something. As always, I really enjoy getting your feedback on the podcast. So absolutely feel free to reach out directly to me if you have any questions, if you have any comments or if you want to get involved in the conversation. I especially love hearing people's thoughts on what the future of work holds and most especially given the current crisis that we find ourselves in and the huge unknown about what's going to happen in the future. But just sparking that conversation about the potential to change how we work, I think, is a really, really important message. You will find me on social media, so Instagram, empowermentcoaching.ie or on LinkedIn or on Twitter at empowerment underscore IE. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to the Happier at Work podcast with Aoife O'Brien. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review the podcast.